So today we're continuing our service on how God meets your deepest needs. And today we're going to talk about the fact that he offers you an eternal legacy. All right. So I, I have a true false question up here on the screen. Before you put it up, wait. Okay. True false. Before you put it up there, I want to, I want to say when I talk about the church in this series, am I talking about the church as a building or the church is people? People. All right. I'm not sure everybody got that. Is the church a building or is church people? It's the people. It's the family of God. All right. So here's the true false question. The only thing on planet earth right now that is going to last forever is the church, the family of God. True or false? That was maybe a third of you. And, and if you're on Facebook, you can, you can, you can increase our, our, our correct answer by saying true. All right, just type it in, true. All right, let's go try it again. Wait, wait, go back to that one. Go back to that one. The only thing on planet earth right now in existence that's going to last forever is the family of God, the church. True or false? Okay, since that is true, thank you for getting the right answer. Since that is true, here's the next one, true or false? The greatest thing you can do is help someone else to get into the family of God. Yes, if it's the only thing that's going to last forever, and we don't base that on my word, we base that on the word of God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's going to last forever. Someday, hopefully, there's going to be somebody in heaven because of you. And the cool thing is, they don't just thank you for one day, they thank you for eternity because you introduced them to Jesus. And so then the logical question comes, is anyone going to be in heaven because of you? Did you help anybody get into the forever family? I desperately want to leave a legacy to my children, to my grandchildren, to my great-grandchildren, and the best possible legacy I can leave them is something that will last forever. Would you agree? And so I pour my, yeah, thank you, true. I pour my life into the church, the family of God, something that will last forever. Now today, when we're talking about eternal legacy, I want to look at five statements of Jesus so if we're going to talk about eternal legacy, we're going to see what the founder of Christianity had to say. Here's the first one. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. He came to do what? And to save. This, he's telling a bunch of people, lost people, he said, he's telling a bunch of people right after he um, introduced Zacchaeus to the kingdom of God. You remember he comes walking along, Zacchaeus is up in the sycamore trees in Jericho, and Jesus looks at, up at him, if you know the children's song, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus takes him home, and he meets Jesus at the end of that encounter. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And then he says these words, for the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. And this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's talking about the Messiah. He says, the Ancient of Days, talking about God, gives the keys of the the future to the Messiah, the Son of Man. So when Jesus says the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the agent of the ancient one, the ancient of days, and I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now think about this. God has been seeking sinners since Adam and Eve sinned. You remember Adam and Eve sinned? They realized they were naked. They go and hide themselves. Does Adam go looking for God or does God come looking for Adam? God comes in and he says, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was, but he wanted Adam to admit that he had sinned. And so Adam says, here I am. And he said, I realized I was naked. And God said, who told you were naked? Well, the woman, he looks at the woman. The woman says, well, the snake, the serpent that you sent. So basically it's your fault, God, that we messed up. God has been looking for seeking lost people 
from the very first people that came. So to me, that's an incredibly loving God that he would come seek Adam and Eve, that he would come seek Zacchaeus, that he would come seek you. Second statement, Mark 16, 15. Wherever you go in the world, now the, the, that, that verb, wherever, means as you are going, as you are living. I put that, the brackets in there so you would understand this. As you are going, as you are living, you're supposed to tell who the good news? You're supposed to tell who the good news? All right, how many of you here go to the grocery store? How many of you go to school or to work or to sports or to parties? According to Jesus, as you're going, as you're living, what are you supposed to do? Tell everyone the good news. What's the good news? Jesus died for their sins as a substitute for their sins. Here's the third statement. This is one of the last things Jesus said before he rose back to heaven. He says, you will be my, what is this word? Witnesses. Okay. You can be a good witness or a bad witness. He's talking about you need to be a good witness. And the the word you there, is he saying preachers will be my witnesses, small group leaders, board members, or is he talking about everybody? So you put your name in there, Doug, you will be my witness. George, you'll be my witness. Bobby, you'll be my witness. Chad, you'll be my witness. In Jerusalem, that means in Palestine. In Judea, that means the state of Texas. In Samaria, that means the United States and all the world. That means wherever God calls us to go, we're supposed to go be witnesses. Now, does it say you will be my attorney? Does Jesus need you to defend him in court? No, he said, you'll be my witness. Do you know the difference in in an attorney and in a witness? An attorney presents the case, presents the evidence. But Jesus didn't say he wants you to be his attorney. He said he wants you to be his witness. What does a witness do? Witness says, here's what I saw, here's what I heard, here's what happened to me. A witness says, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I, I had no peace in my life. There was turmoil, but now I'm a child of the one who's called the Prince of Peace. When's the last time you were a witness to what God has done in your life to someone who doesn't know Jesus? Here's another one that happened at the end of his life, and it's called the Great Commission. Jesus is speaking, and he says, all authority. You don't need power. You need authority. Because the demons recognize that Jesus died on the cross. He he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was resurrected, so he won the, the... He won the battle over sin and death, and he has all authority. Because of his victory over sin and death, God has given him all authority. And so the demons recognize the authority of Jesus. They don't recognize your authority unless you're under the authority of Jesus. When you're under his authority, you can say, be gone, Satan, and he will be gone. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then, therefore, because of that authority... Go and make disciples. And again, this is a present participle. It's as you are going, as you are living. The only only verb in this whole section in the Greek is this next part, make disciples. A disciple is a follower or an apprentice. An apprentice is one who learns a trade from someone and repeats that trade. How you know the apprentice is finally graduating is when they go and find more apprentices for the king. He says, as you're going, make disciples, apprentices of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You have been commissioned as an agent of the king, but you were never supposed to be a secret agent. And too many Christ followers are secret agents. 
Now, that was at the end of his ministry. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus gathers around him this ragtag group of fishermen, of tax collectors, carpenters, normal, ordinary people. And he said these words. This is how he starts off the ministry. He says, come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or if you know the King James or, or one of the older translations, I'll make you fishers of men. They were catching fish. This was right after the, the great uh, catch of all the fish when the two boats were sinking. And Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He goes, oh, you have not, you've not seen anything yet, Peter. If you'll follow me, I'm going to make you fish for people. So here's the point I want to make today. If you're not fishing, you're not really following Jesus. If you're not being a witness, you're not a follower. My job, your job, and God's family is to invite others to join us. It's one of the ways we fish for people. Now, I think most Christians are intimidated by this idea of being a witness. It's because they don't understand what a witness is. I was lost. I was found. A witness just says what happens. You don't defend Christ. But I think it's also because they don't understand some things about people. If we understand these things about people, it's going to give us confidence as we go and fish for people. So four things I want you to remember about all people. Number one, everyone has the same longings, right? Every person you encounter has the same longings. If you ask them, hey, would you like to live a good life? Is anybody going to say, no, I'm looking for a bad life. I want my life to suck. Do people say that? No. They're looking for a good life. Now, if you ask them to define the good life, you're going to get all kinds of different definitions. And most of the time, those definitions will have to do with things that are temporary. And, and it changes. The problem with the good life is it's never good enough. This week, I, I went and got the mail, and I came in, I was going through, and I saw a publisher's clearinghouse. And, and, and I wasn't going to open it because I hadn't done that. You know, I used to do it all the time, but I never won, so I quit. But on there it said, $5,000 a week forever. And I, I said out loud in my kitchen, I could live on that. Couldn't you? Do you think it would make you happy? Probably would cause some conflict. I guarantee you, you're going to have friends and relatives you never knew you had will show up if you start getting 5,000 bucks a week, right? The problem in Hollywood, we talked about this in our men's group. And by the way, I hadn't invited you, but if you want to come to the Sunday morning men's group, we're having a great time. 7.45, breakfast. We're talking about culture uh, in crisis, culture shock. And man, it's great. You, you want to be challenged in your thinking. Come to our, our uh Sunday morning, if you want to be challenged, anything can come to Tuesday night's men and women Bible study. But anyway, I just forgot to mention that. Um, the problem with the good life is it's not so good. And the Hollywood people, they change spouses every couple of days like they change clothes. It's because the good life isn't good enough. And, and the problem is <laughs> they don't know about the better life that only comes through Jesus. Jesus offers them something that's better than the good life. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.15. This is the message paraphrase. It's like how it says it. He, meaning Jesus, included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a what kind of life? A far better life than people have ever lived on their own. Jesus offers you the better life. Jesus said it himself in John 10.10, also the message. I came, he's, Jesus is speaking, I came that they might have real life and eternal life more and what kind of life? Better life than they ever dreamed of. What we have to offer in the church is better than what anyone's looking for in the good life. We don't have to be afraid of sharing. We all long to 
be loved and to love others. We long to belong to something that's bigger than ourselves. We long for lives that matter. You don't get those things in the good life. You get those things in the better life, the far better life that only Jesus Christ offers. So remember about people, everyone has the same longings. Number two, remember that everyone has the same questions. There's a reason you all have the same questions. Every person, and it's this verse from Ecclesiastes 3.11. This is the, the contemporary English version. God makes everything happen at the right time, yet none of us can ever fully understand all he has done. He puts questions in our minds about the past and the future. Or you may have heard this in another translation. It says, God has planted eternity in the human heart. So when you start thinking about the eternity, how did I get here? Why am I here? What is the purpose of me being on this planet? Um, what happens after I die? What is the meaning of life? People have those questions because God planted it in their hearts. It's almost as if he knew some people would start seeking him if they began to ask these questions. When Jesus was on the earth, he said this in John 8, 31 and 32, to the Jews who had believed in him. So these are believers. Jesus said, and here's, here's the word. It's, the, it's a two-letter word. It is the biggest word in the human language. What is that word? If. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching and you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth, there is truth, and the truth will set you free, free from confusion, free from contradiction, free from all the things that bind up our lives and our souls. It only comes through Jesus. Everybody has the same longings. Everybody has the same questions. Number three, anyone can be saved if I discover the unmet need or hidden hurt in their heart. This is really cool. Now, Proverbs tells us how you can do it. Proverbs 20, 25, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. The person who has insight, that's you following the Holy Spirit. You, you seek to draw out of someone what's going on in their heart. And, and you know this, but we have to be paying attention. Romans 3, 23 says, everyone has sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. So as a Christ follower, I'm not perfect, I'm forgiven. I don't stand before God for my sins because my sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. He's a substitute. Everybody here knows who a substitute is. In my day when we were watching uh, basketball, it was Michael Jordan. The substitute is whoever comes in for Michael Jordan. The substitute is whoever comes in for you. The substitute comes and takes your place so that you don't ever have to face the punishment for your sins. That's what Jesus Christ did. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all mess up. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And if you discern someone's hurts, habits, and hang-ups, guess what? You've just discovered the way to lead them to Christ. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said there's one way. Jesus was narrow-minded. He said there's one way. It's through Jesus. There's only one way to Jesus, but there's many reasons people come to Jesus. And your job as a Christ follower is to figure out those reasons and help point someone towards Jesus. It's not your job to save them because you're called to be a witness, not a savior. Number four, people have excuses. All people have excuses. We have the Holy Spirit and truth. Now, in a matchup between excuses and the Holy Spirit and truth, who's going to win? And, and this is just the way my mind works. In my mind, I heard Bruce Buffer say, fighting out of the blue corner, people with excuses. Fighting out of the red corner, and I chose red because of the blood of Jesus. You see, you know what I did? Casey knew that. Fighting out of the red corner, the Holy Spirit. In that matchup, who's going to win? Holy Spirit and truth. Look what Paul told a young pastor 
in 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. This is the living Bible. For the Holy Spirit, God's gift, does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and enjoy being with them. And check this out. If you will stir up this inner power, the inner power of the Holy Spirit who is in you, you'll never be afraid to tell others about our Lord. Jesus said this. He said, but this will be your chance to tell about your faith or to be a witness. And then he says, don't worry about what you'll say to defend yourselves. I will give you the wisdom to know what to say in Luke 21, 13 through 15. So if we understand those things, all people have questions, all people have longings. You can, you can lead anyone to Christ if you figure out their unmet needs and their, their hurts. How do we then go about sharing it? Well, there are just some practical things. Number one, you have to live out the Christian life in front of them. Live it out. 1 Peter 2.12, Living Bible, says it this way. Be careful how you behave among your unsaved neighbors. Did you know the Bible told you to be very careful how you live in front of unsaved people? Part of the problem is that Christians show no difference than non-Christians. And so non-Christians, I've heard them say, if that person's a Christian, I'm already a Christian because we do exactly the same thing. The Bible says, be careful how you behave among unsaved neighbors. For then, even if they are suspicious of you and talk against you, they will end up praising God for your good works when Christ returns. So you have to be what I'm going to call an AV Christian. Does anybody know what A slash V stands for? Say it again. Audio-visual. Except we're going to turn around, we're going to say you need to be a VA Christian, a visual audio Christian, and here's why. If someone, if they like what they see, they'll listen to what you say. If they don't like the way you're living your life, they'll never listen to what you say. Because before people ask, is Jesus real? They ask, are you real? Before they ask, is the Bible, can the Bible be trusted? They ask, can you be trusted? And if you're not living it out, they're not going to listen to what you have to say. You have to live it first. Second thing, you have to learn it. You live it before them, you learn it. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, is what 1 Peter 3, 15 says. How, how do you learn it? Well, small groups, rightnow.org, all right? So right now ministries, we, have, we pay a subscription. There are literally over a 1,000 Bible studies on rightnow.org. You can do them on your own, or there's actually a little button where you can ask other people to join you. You don't even have to be in the same room with them. You can have access to this. And here's the thing that amazes me. Every time I send out invites, people say, oh, I want to be on right now. I want to have the Bible study. I'll send out an invite. There are people who are still, who've still never responded to the invite four years after I've sent it to them. Are they learning anything from Right Now Ministries? Some of you are going, oh, no, did I ever answer it? If you don't know, come ask me. I'll, I'll find out if it's you. I'll send you another one. In our, in our um, sermon series, we have a couple of series that we deal with the basics of Christianity. One of them is called Starting Point. We did it a couple of years ago. We traced all the way back to Abraham, who's the father of the Jews, who's the father that the, the Muslims claim, and he's also the father of Christianity. And we talked about how it diverged from there and how we believe Jesus is the Messiah. That's where we leave the Jews. The whole Old Testament, we agree with the Jews. It's the same God. We just differ from them when we get to the New Testament. And that starting point series will walk you through the basics of Christianity. Last year, we did a, a series called Bystander, where we proved that John was an eyewitness, and we talked about the things that he witnessed. We looked at seven miracles that proved that Jesus is the Son of God. If you're not 
digging into those things, you're not learning it. Third way you can tell people about Christ. I love this one. All right. Apologize for not sharing sooner. So here's what you do. I I really want you to try this because I want you to come back and tell me about this. Somebody you know that, that maybe you've known them for years. Could be a neighbor, could be a relative, could be a friend you've known for years. Maybe you hadn't seen them in a while. Next time you see them, try this. Say to them, I need to apologize to you. And they're going to say, what for? You say, well, I need to apologize because I'm, I'm embarrassed that I've waited so long to talk to you about this. Now, I'm not trying to be dumb, but they're going to be going, what in the world do you need to apologize for? And you say, I'm so sorry I've never shared with you what I believe about life after death, about God. And if you'd ever like to talk about it, I would love to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. But I'm sorry I haven't done it sooner. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous person is a guide to his neighbor. You have to care enough about someone's eternity that you'll be willing to risk just sharing your witness. If if we had a burning car out here in the parking lot right now, and one of your loved ones was in the burning car, would you just sit there and go, wow, sucks to be you right now? Or would you go try to save them? Your loved one faced a Christless eternity in a place called hell where the burning never goes out. And we forget that so we don't take seriously the need to share Christ with them. It is just as real an eternity in the making as a car burning out here. Only their soul will burn because they've rejected Jesus. We got to take it seriously. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and, and I just decided to be incredibly bold with my friend. And, and he said, he said, if what you're saying is true, I'm screwed. And I said, yeah, but you don't have to be. I said, I want you to be in heaven with me. He said, I don't believe in heaven. He said, if I'm right, we're both going to be okay. I said, but if, if I'm right, he said, I'm screwed. I said, yes you got to care enough for their eternity to share with them. The most loving thing you can do for someone is show them how their sins can be forgiven, their past can be forgiven, they can have a purpose for living, they can have a home in heaven. It's the most loving thing you could do. And show them how they can open up their heart to the grace of God. Fourth thing you got to do is listen. Very few people in this world care enough to actually listen to others. I absolutely love the Bible, and this is the contemporary English Translation of Proverbs 18.13, it says, It's stupid and embarrassing to give an answer before you listen. Have you ever done that? Mm -hmm. How do you find the unmet need in someone's heart? How do you find their their hidden hurt, their habit, their hang-up? You ask questions and you listen. And then when they answer, you say, Really? What about this? Tell me more. And you listen. Because I'm going to guarantee in this world, in this digital world where where almost ran into a girl yesterday because she was doing this in Walmart. Had to step around her. She had no clue anyone was around her. People don't listen. If you'll listen to them, you'll find out the key to their heart, and they'll actually come to you with questions. And did you know that it's not your job to prove the existence of God? Your job is to show people the grace of God and love them and let God change them. I love this next one. Five, share your stories. That's your testimony. 
If God has ever helped you out of a financial bind, you have a financial testimony. If if he's ever rescued you from relational problems, has God ever rescued anyone from relational problems? You have a relational testimony. Marriage problems, you have a marriage testimony. You have second chance testimonies. You have hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of God's grace and provision, and so does the Bible. One time Jesus healed a blind guy on the Sabbath day. He did it on purpose, and he did it in front of the Pharisees because the Pharisees had come up with all these rules, and they said, our rules are equal with God's word. And Jesus was like, mm I know him. They're not equal. And so he showed them that their rules weren't equal, and they were hopping mad because they said, this guy must be a sinner because he dares to break our rules. And so they try to get the formerly blind guy to say something bad about Jesus. They say, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And look what the formerly blind guy says. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He had a healing testimony. I was blind, but now I see. You have all kinds. You have hundreds of blind, but now I see testimonies about parenting, about dating, about dealing with stress. You have hundreds of testimonies. When's the last time you were a witness? And you shared your story about what God's done in your life. Then the last thing, this is how we're gonna how we're gonna grow our church, is you need to bring people to worship. I read this week that people come to Christ faster in the context of a group if they're connected to a group. And when an, when an unbeliever comes to new life, an unbeliever can't worship the risen Savior, but they can watch us worship the risen Savior. It's why. We get discouraged sometimes when, when people don't worship. Because when we come together, this is a celebration that the tomb is empty. And I've told you this before, you need to tell your face if you're celebrating. Right? Somebody got to know. When we celebrate together, when we open up God's word, when we share our stories, when we get excited about what God's doing in the world. And by the way, this year, In 2022, I'm asking God to let us shine our light all over uh, Anderson County um, in in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and and I don't know what he's going to do in the world, but I'm talking with the, the city about us doing Be the Church this year at Reagan Park. And doing very similar thing to what we did out in, um, in Elkhart at the campus. We're going to have a clothing giveaway in, in August before school starts, but we can do another one in October and go down and have all of our inflatables down at Reagan Park and go around and clean up yards and um, around Reagan Park. We can do that, right? I'm going to do it. I don't know, I don't know who's going to join me, but I'm going to do it. June 11th, we're going back to... Um, Mount Olive Baptist Church, and, and we we're praying like crazy about how we can put on the medal that we donated this year, or that Volcraft donated. We just took it down there. We're going to have to get the gym. We're going to have to get a, a, a professional group to demo because we're going to fall through and die. <laughs> but once we get that done and get some things taken care of, then George and my brother have said, we can take ordinary people and we can guide you how to put on a roof. We're going to have to raise some money. Somehow there's got to be some money to pay for this professional crew to take that roof off. And when you do things like that, when we go to Reagan Park, there's a, there's a pastor I'm talking to that, that we may need to get a group of men and go help do some construction on the church. That's here in Anderson County. When you do that, Jesus said, your light shines before people in such a way that they glorify your Father in heaven. That's my goal for new life is that we glorify God in Anderson County, in Texas, in Louisiana, or wherever he calls us to go.
And when we do that, people who are outside the family of God say, what is wrong with you? Right? When I told you about um, people heard that we gave $20,000 to Mount Olive Baptist Church. That's crazy. But that's our God. I want to be a church. <laughs> I hadn't, hadn't gotten permission to say, to say this. I want to, I want to give away $25,000 a year for the next 10 years to churches that, that desperately need someone to, to be the light of God. And I'm going to commit. I think I'm supposed to give $2,500 a year just to that offering, 10% of it. And I don't know who God's going to move to help, but I want to be that church that we have all kinds of Mount Olive Baptist Church moments when we hand a check to them and say, no strings attached. Why would you do this? Because God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. And non-Christians see that and they say, there's something different about you. I want to be that church. Non-Christians can see us get excited about what God's doing and it changes them and they begin to ask questions. And I don't know if you know this, but God wants his house to be full. Here's what he said. Jesus is telling a story in Luke chapter 14, verse 23, about how we're supposed to bring people to the banquet. He's, and so Jesus said, so the master said, go out into the country lane, lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come in so that my house will be full. God wants his house to be full. When was the last time you invited someone to church? You got to care enough to bring somebody with you. Why not start next weekend? And let me tell you this. When you bring someone with you, it changes your perspective of what's going on in church. Several times. So this is the 20th year that New Life has been in existence. So we're going to have a big party this summer. Um, big summer blowout. That's what we're calling it. Um, but several times in the history of this church, someone will walk up to me and they say, buddy, you better bring it today. I'm like, what are you talking about? My friend who is far from God is here. You better have a good one. No pressure. Their eternity hangs in the balance. When, when we do that, when you bring non-Christians in here, we have a corporate witness. And they begin to see that there's a lot of people that believe this stuff. Maybe it's real. And when non-Christians come in here, I want you to see what the, the Living Bible says in Psalm 40, verse 3. It says, He has given me a new song to sing of praises to our God. So the reason we do church the way we do church, we sing songs. We'll sing some old songs, but you notice we, we through the years, we just keep learning new songs. God gives new songs, and we want to sing praises to our God. Here's why. Now many will hear of the glorious things he did for me. They'll come and they'll hear these songs. Maybe it'll get in their heart. Maybe they'll listen to it later. Maybe they listen to the message, and they'll hear the things that God did for me and stand in awe before the Lord, and what will they do? They'll put their trust in the Lord. I remember it was 10, actually 11 years ago. I remember when George Stanley first came to our church because Rebecca and I had been talking about it. And she said, ah, George doesn't like preachers. 
she'd been coming to church, and, and long story how God put us back together. I recognized her name, and, and we started talking, and she said, I, I'm going to come back when we moved back in, when we moved into this building. So that would have been 2008. She started coming, and then 2010, she said, George doesn't like preachers. They talk about money. All they want is money. They're in it for themselves. Da, 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 da. So we were doing, I believe God had called us to, have a, uh, to get out of debt. I don't remember at that time we had, um, I don't know, about $150,000, $160,000 left in debt when we bought this place. We spent $250,000 to buy this place and renovate and all that stuff. So, so we did this, this series called Building a Great Life, how we wanted to get out of debt. I will never forget. I walked in. I was standing right back there in front of the soundboard. I saw Rebecca come in, and I saw George, and I went, oh, God, you have a sense of humor because I was going to spend eight weeks talking about money and how we needed to get out of debt. And I just was like, okay, God. And, and George and I have talked about this through the years. There's a whole lot of stuff that happened that led him to Christ. But one of the things that happened was we had a corporate witness. He kept coming. A, a young man challenged him and he said, don't you just go once. Praise God. He said that because George was like, well, I'm going to keep going, but I don't, you know, eight weeks. He kept coming. And I don't remember. I don't remember. It was a year and a half, maybe. I don't even remember. George walks up here and he says, well, I did it. And I'm like, did what? And he said, I gave my life to Christ. And I went, yes. Do you think Rebecca took it seriously when she invited her husband to come to a church? If you'll invite someone that doesn't know Christ, it will change the way you look at church. Because you're called to be a witness, whether you're being a good one or not. That's between you and the Lord. But you have an opportunity to change someone's destiny. You have an opportunity to invest in an eternal legacy. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord as long as he leaves me on this planet. And how I desperately pray that when he takes me, that there's a group of men in this church that stand up and say, we will not let this church fail. With the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will keep being witnesses for him. I want to put a prayer up on the screen. I'm going to read it out loud and just give you an opportunity to pray. Dear God, I want you to use me to bring someone uh, to the, twice, didn't I? to bring someone to Christ in this year. Help me to remember that your Holy Spirit is with me and I have the truth of your word on my side. Stir up in me the love for people that you have. Then give me a boldness to share my stories with people and to invite them to church. Please go before me and help me this week to honor you. Does anybody want Jesus to use them to bring someone into the kingdom of God? Starts with you asking your heavenly father to make you be a good witness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that the tomb is empty. Thank you that that you created, you planted eternity in the human heart. So people are asking questions about life and death, about what happens uh, after we finish breathing on this planet. People are ready. They're ripe, Lord. We're just not very obedient, so forgive us for that. And make us aware this week of someone you're bringing across our path who needs to hear about life in Jesus.
We pray this in your name. Amen.